Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. We're um, going through a series uh, in Isaiah, as uh, Tom mentioned, um, and uh, if you said to me, could we get through the book of Isaiah in um, whatever it is, 12 weeks or something, um, uh, eight, eight, four. Oh, 18, right. Uh, it's, still, it's still pretty fast, but tonight we're um, looking at Isaiah 36 to 39 and uh, we've got a couple of um, readings from those uh, chapters. If you've got your Bible there or your um, electronic device, you can look it up. Uh, Isaiah 37, uh, 1 to 20. We're just going to uh, read that. Uh, Isaiah 37, 1 to 20. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. This is the context of Sennacherib, the Assyrian king has come up against, uh, against the uh, city and we'll have a look at that a little bit more later. And he sent Eliakim who was over the household and Shebna the secretary and the senior priests covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos, And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put my spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumour and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lashish. Now the king heard concerning Turkhatka, king of Cush, he has set out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messages to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given unto the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done in all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rezep and the people of Eden were in Telassar. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sephavim, the king of Hena or the, the king of Eva? And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear, and open your eyes, O Lord, and see, 
and hear all the words of Sennacherib which he sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. And then turning over to 39, God deals with Assyria in the meantime and uh, Hezekiah gets uh, quite sick. As a matter of fact, God says you're going to die but uh, then gives him another 15 years of life. And then finally in uh, Isaiah 39, uh, we'll just read, uh, read that. At that time, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for they'd heard that he'd been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armoury, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. And then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They've come to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They've seen all that's in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Let's just come to the Lord in prayer. Father, tonight from these chapters you give us an amazing story of a man... Hezekiah and your dealings with him and we pray that Lord you will speak to our hearts from your word that we will learn the lessons that you would have us to learn and that Father we will learn to trust you in every situation. So our Father we commit this time in the word to you in Jesus name. Amen. Sorry, I need a drink of water already. Um, My wife and I have a son who's 25 and he said to me recently, well, I'm 25 and I'm still trying to work out uh, what God wants in my life and where he wants me to go. And as I thought about it, it suddenly dawned on me uh, well, here I am at 62, sort of, sort of semi-retired or redirected and, uh, and uh, sort of my wife and I are almost empty nesters 
and we're still working out, in a sense, what God wants us to do in this new season of our lives where he's brought us. And we're starting to see more and more that God does not give you a detailed roadmap of every step of the way, of exactly who you're going to meet tomorrow and so on. But in the Bible, he gives you a compass so that you can know that you are heading in the right direction. A bit like Abraham, God sent him out not knowing exactly where he was going, but he had to trust God, that God would show him step by step. I read an article recently by a man who's just turned 50. Sorry to focus on ages, but he said, uh, here are a list of things I wish people had told me when I was in my 20s. And uh, he said the first one was, here you are at 20 or 25, you'll turn your head and in no time you'll be 50. Well, I can testify to that one as being right. Make the most, as it says in Ephesians 5, make the most of the time that you have. Learn how to, how to live well. But secondly, he said life won't get easier. Learn to accept trials and sufferings. You know, on some levels, life does become a bit easier. I'm glad I don't have to go through high school again or through um, all the, the sort of working out of the future of my career and so on. But it's a false gospel that says as a believer that you will never suffer, you, that you will never go through trials, that it's only a lack of faith that means you are going through trouble. I'll let you in on a secret that uh, temptations don't stop at 60. Trials don't stop at 60. And uh, some of the greatest pressures and heartaches in your life are still to come, even from fellow believers. It's, you can only be grieved, in a sense, by the people that you love. Jesus, it was prophetically spoken of him, I was wounded in the house of my friends. And circumstances... But you've got to learn to see, and we're going to see that tonight in the life of Hezekiah, that a crisis is an unwelcomed opportunity to discover a new aspect of God and what he wants for your life. You may not normally think of crises like that, but here was a man, Hezekiah, and he was facing some significant times in his life. And God wanted him, just as he wants you, to learn to trust him, to finish well. If you're going to finish well in the Christian life, and perhaps that's at the heart of what I want to say tonight, what God, I believe, wants to say, if you're going to finish well, whatever your age, God wants you to learn to trust him, to rely upon him, to depend upon him, in all the choices that you make day by day. These chapters in Isaiah 36 to 39, it's like the middle of the book of Isaiah and from 1 to 36 
We've been looking at God's judgment, what he's doing uh, and, and what he's prophesying. We then come to what you could almost call a historical interlude in the book where it goes from the Assyrian Empire which has occupied a lot of the early part and it transitions over to the, the visit by the people from Babylon. And so here you have the Assyrian world power and then a transition over to the Babylonian world power. And they're pretty amazing chapters. You get Jerusalem surrounded by hundreds of thousands of soldiers and yet in one night the angel of, the, of God goes out and 185,000 soldiers die. And, and, and in chapter 38, you know, as a sign that God is going to keep his word, time goes backwards by 10 steps on the sundial. And then Hezekiah comes down with a sickness that you're going to die and God gives him another 15 years of life. And so we need to understand something of Hezekiah and what God said to him that we might learn. And except for David and Solomon, the Bible, no other king has as much attention given to him within the Bible. There are about 11 chapters on Hezekiah, the chapters we looked at in Isaiah, but then also 2 Kings 18 to 20, and Second Chronicles 29 to 32. And let me encourage you from the start to go back and read these chapters, Isaiah 36 to 39. Uh, it's step by step you start to understand all the kings and what God is doing. But underneath, I think the key word is trust. And if you look at Isaiah 36, the word trust comes out whether it's God speaking to Hezekiah, whether it's Sennacherib and his men coming along and saying, how could you ever trust in the living God? How could you trust in Egypt? And that's really the question for tonight. What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in for your life? Because in, in 2 Kings 18.5, Hezekiah, it says of him, he trusted in the Lord the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. He trusted in the Lord and God led him to restore temple worship, to reinstate the Passover where they remembered the great things that God had done in bringing them out of, out of Egypt. And in Second Chronicles 31, 21 Every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. He had a deep heart trust in God. He began well. How would he finish? And so we want to look at three aspects of his life tonight. Trust. You only finish well when you learn to trust God day by day when you trust in him. What do, what do we mean by trust? Firstly, it's always got to be trust in God. People talk about, oh well I've got faith. 
I trust, you know, I'm trusting. But the biblical view is that it's always trust in God, in his work, in what he's done, in who he is. It's faith in God and what he can do. Trust is to be confident, is to be sure that despite what it appears to be, God is God and God will always keep his word. Jerry Bridges wrote a book on trusting God and he says, you've got to see and believe that God is completely sovereign, that God is infinite in his wisdom and that God is perfect in his love. So to trust in God means you come to believe that his love always wills what is best for you. And in his perfect wisdom, he knows what is best for you. And in his great sovereignty, he's able to bring that to pass. And so you can trust him because of who he is and what he's able to do. Back in Psalm 78, they spoke against God. Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Can God provide food for us in the wilderness? And it made God very angry, it says, because they did not believe in God or did not trust in his saving power. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Hezekiah had come to that point where he was willing to trust God, trust in God and what he was able to do. And yet there was a sense as all the armies came up against Jerusalem that he did want to rely upon Egypt a bit. And uh, even the enemy said, you, you rely upon Egypt. It would be like leaning on a sharp stake, on a sharp reed. You know, and even Isaiah had told uh, Hezekiah that one, that money, he tried to buy off uh, the uh, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And, uh, and it didn't work because Sennacherib only kept the money. And trusting, trusting is learning to live without scheming. That's a good way of thinking about trusting. If you ask yourself, am I trusting God? Well, what sort of schemes are you working out in your own heart to try and resolve this situation? Or are you coming to God to trust him? to allow him space to work out what, uh, what he is going to do. And as we look at Hezekiah there, there's a beautiful passage in uh, Isaiah 37 where Hezekiah received the letter from the king of Assyria saying, don't trust in your living God. It almost was, a, it just seemed like an impossible situation. And he received the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it and Hezekiah came up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. It's a beautiful picture of prayer. And I want to say to you tonight when I, I in a sense, I don't know what you're going through and what you're going to go through. But there's a wonderful example here from Isaiah of bringing it before the Lord. And prayer is not denying 
that we're in trouble. Prayer is not denying that this is a serious situation that I'm facing. It's not denying that I don't know what to do. It's coming and it's spreading it out before the Lord and saying, Lord, here is the situation. I don't know what to do. I suppose I, I used to think about prayer as you had to be pretty well organised and have pretty well sorted out prayer so that you could uh, come and almost tell God what to do. But prayer sometimes is just a cry from the heart. As uh, Romans uh, 8 said, the, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words because sometimes we just don't even know what to pray. But God says, come. Come and spread it out before me and learn to trust me in it. I, I um, can't read that passage without thinking about a friend of ours many years ago who was doing a PhD in um, solid state physics. That's about all that I can tell you about what he was uh, studying but uh, he sort of hinted that that was where he was going and he came to a point where he, uh, it just seemed like it was just a roadblock and he was under pressure to get the thing done in time and uh, it just seemed impossible. And uh, one night he just went home and he just spread all his papers out on his bed and he just kneeled there and spread and said, Lord, I come to you. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. But I come to you and bring it to you. And as he started to pray, the Lord started to give him some ideas about what to do and some different things he could explore. And, uh, and of course his boss who'd been away came back, his supervisor came back and, and, uh, and he presented these ideas that he had got while his uh, supervisor had been away and his supervisor said, well these are great ideas, where did you get these from? Because, well, the Lord told me, I prayed. And of course his supervisor said, well right, yeah, well let's move on and explore them. But that's what God longs to see you do. In all, when you face the situation that is just so much pressure, so much impossibility, come as it is. The Lord knows anyway. We don't have, can't hide anything from him. And spread it out before the Lord. Lay it before him and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your work. I need your guidance in this. But I think the other lovely thing about that prayer is that he starts with God. Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms. You made heaven and earth incline your ear. And I've been guilty of rushing into prayer and saying, Lord, I need this and I need that and, and I need it now and I, I need this done. And Hezekiah shows us that prayer is not just rushing in about yourself. First of all in prayer, it's seeing who God is and seeing that he is able, he's powerful, he is all wise and he's all love. And perhaps when, we, when you get a better picture of him, there are things that you wouldn't ask for because you'd know you'd be willing to trust him to work this out.
It's only when we really start to see the sovereign God, the all-wise God, that you can start to come in and pray. And really his request in the end only came at the end. Lord, we're in trouble. Save us. Help us. And God answered, just as he promises to answer your prayers when you come to him. He promised that Jerusalem would be delivered there in verse 22, that the Assyrians would depart and that the people would not starve. It's a beautiful promise there in Isaiah 37 and 30 and 31. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. And if there's a wonderful promise as we come to pray for our fellowship, that's a beautiful thing to pray, that we would be learning to take root downward in God's word and bear fruit upward. Allow God to make us deeper and deeper in the word that we might spring up with new fruit. What a promise to pray for our fellowship. Well, he had the crisis of invasion and he came and he spread it before the Lord. Then he gets sick and it's a pretty serious sickness. As a matter of fact, Isaiah comes and says to him, you're going to die, set your house in order, get everything right. Have you, have you written your will yet? Have you got your family organised? Is everything right? Because you are going to die. And, and then he turns to the wall and he starts to pray. Again, he wants to trust God in this and say, Lord, Lord, what's happening? I've, I've given my life to bringing the nation back to God. We're doing this great work. I, I can't understand it. And there are going to be things in your life where there's an announcement or there's something changes and you can't understand it. Surely, you know, I've been following God, I've been wanting to do what he wants and then it just seems like there's a roadblock. And God says, Come to me, trust me, trust my sovereignty, trust my wisdom, trust my love for you. Don't try to work out God. As he says in Isaiah 38, 17, Behold, this sickness, behold, it was for my welfare, for my benefit. I love that you've delivered my life. And sometimes we don't always see that right in the midst of things it's for my benefit. It's easy uh, for an, an outsider to come along and we've got to learn to be sympathetic to others but we've got to see that we are not, the Christian life, you're not going to always choose the way God develops you. God has a far more a far superior way of developing you, of opening up your life to what God wants to achieve. And he learned to trust God 
and God gave him another 15 years. Some people would say because his son was Manasseh, who was one of the most evil kings in the land, that perhaps he shouldn't have asked for another 15 years. But then his grandson was Josiah, who was a wonderful king. So I think rather than trying to work out whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, sometimes it's better to just say, well, God gave him another 15 years and he, and he learned to trust God in the midst of that. We, God will speak to us and he will give us certain things. He will withhold certain things. Let's, in the midst of that, trust him for the future. So there was the crisis of invasion. There was the crisis of sickness and then there was the, the chapter that we read uh, tonight from Isaiah 39 and I want to call it the crisis of prosperity. Now you may say, what's wrong with being prosperous? What's wrong with being rich? Well, the interesting thing was Jesus said, very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And there, is, there can be a real crisis in prosperity. Everything was going well for Hezekiah and uh, these Babylonian envoys, they turn up and they're, uh, now they give him a gift. Like, oh, we hear you've been sick, poor chap. You know, here's a present. And they want to, uh, they just flatter him and there's a naivety about that whole thing. And he just shows them everything, everything he's got. And, and I think you sense there's a, there's, a, there's a bit of pride going on underneath. And uh, in Second Chronicles, which helps us to see another aspect of the story, um, in, and it says in Second uh, Chronicles 32, 31, so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon who'd been sent to him about the sign that had been done in the land, God left to him to himself in order to test him and to know that all that was in his heart. And prosperity, your possessions, God can allow them as a test in a sense. Are you going to hold on to all you have or are you going to hold these things with an open hand and be available to allow God to use them as he chooses In, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, uh, Paul says, uh, what do you have that God hasn't given you? What did you have that you did not receive from a loving Heavenly Father? And if you've received it, if it's been given to you, why boast as though my own hands did this, as though it was all about me? And that's when we look at Hezekiah, he learned in the crisis of the invasion, in the crisis of this incredible pressure to trust God. He learned in his sickness to trust God. But he didn't finish well when it came to his possessions. And sometimes the devil will come along and he'll, he won't get you to say, Jesus is, no, is not the Son of God or Jesus did not rise from the dead. He won't come along with obvious things but he'll come along with very subtle things 
He's the master of deception, of subtlety. And he'll come along and say, don't get too excited about the Christian life. Don't get too caught up. You know, hang on to things. Surely your career is more important. Your reputation is more important. He'll come along with a lot of subtle things in your life to lose the sense of God laying hold upon you for a glorious purpose, an amazing purpose, and you'll settle for less. In the early days of Apple, Steve Jobs was wanting to recruit a fellow called uh, John Scully, who was head of Pepsi. And uh, he was head of Pepsi, he was this incredible marketeer and manager. And uh, Steve Jobs uh, went to visit him in, uh, in, in New York and he said, uh, you're exactly what Apple needs. We're about to launch all these projects. And, uh, and John was all the time thinking about his enormous pension and salary and package at, uh, at Pepsi uh, because he was right at the top. And, uh, and uh, Steve said to him, John says, Steve said to me with a challenge that would haunt me all my days. He said, John, do you want to give the rest of your life to selling sugared water or do you want to change the world? (laughs) And when you look as he went to Apple, in a sense, he did change the world, the way we do things. But I think God wants to say that to you tonight. Do you want to give your life to the mundane things? to trying to maximise your superannuation at the end of your life, at trying to go right up the slippery corporate ladder? Or do you want to give your life to changing the world through Jesus Christ, to follow him? That's what Hezekiah fell with that flattery where there's a sense in which all that I've got, look at me. And God says, no, hold it with an open hand. Recognise that everything you have has come from God. And he gives you the opportunity not to serve yourself, but to serve him and to be involved in people. There are only three things that are eternal. God and his word and people. People will live forever, whether in heaven or hell. His Bible will stand as truth forever and God is eternal. And whatever you choose to involve your life in, give your life to those three things because they're eternal and you'll never be disappointed. To finish well, you've got to start well. And to start the Christian life is by faith because without faith it is impossible to please God it's impossible to come to him because anyone who wants to come to God must believe that he is that he exists and that he cares for you enough to reward you for coming if you seek him he says you will find him And you have to trust him with your sin. 
You have to bring your sin and lay it upon Jesus who bore your sin and the sin of the world in his own body on the cross. He was your substitute, dying in your place. He died the death that every one of us deserved to die for our sin. And you have to start to learn to trust him with your life, to turn from your own life and your own things, to follow him and to receive him, to ask him to forgive your sin and to give you the gift of eternal life. And Jesus says, whosoever comes to me, I will in no way reject or cast out. And so God says from the life of Hezekiah, trust in me. Believe me that my love for you will be the best for you, that my wisdom will lead you in the right way that my sovereignty will bring all God's purposes together and learn to trust him in the crisis of pressure, of sickness, of prosperity, whatever God gives you for the future. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.